if you got your Bibles, we just started this little study in this little book, wonderful book. The book of Jude is right before the book of Revelation. So if you don't know where it is, start at the back and kind of work your way that way. It's kind of a quicker way to go. He's talking about false teachers. We did the introduction to the book last week in verses 1 to 3. I want to focus on three things about false teachers now that he deals with in these next set of verses. Their plan, kind of their MO and how they work, uh, their conduct, and then thirdly, their judgment. So let's start reading where verse 4, if you'll follow along while I read, that would be great. He says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long before marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire." So false teachers, they've been around forever. There's a couple of things that I think we can pick up here real quickly uh, that Jude reminds us of is, first of all, the way they operate is that false teachers come in lots of different forms. Some of them are very loud and boisterous. Some of them are very quiet. Some of them come in pulpits. They write books. They get radio shows. They get television programs. They get quite the following. Others of them just kind of sit in the chairs uh, and they sow discord and they create false doctrine uh, of what's going on. That's the whole idea of certain persons. Because you got to wonder, why didn't why didn't you just name them? If there's some that he had in mind in particular, I mean, John does in his epistle, uh, Paul does a couple times there in Second uh, Timothy, but Jude's point is there's just certain, certain men, uh, and this is what they do, and what they do is they creep in, they sneak in. Their MO is not coming waving a flag of, I'm a heretic, come and listen to me, it's they, they come under the guise. In fact, you remember what Jesus said about them. They come as wolves, but they're dressed in sheep's clothing. So sometimes it's very hard to, to see and to identify uh, at first. In fact, I was thinking this week of the parable that Jesus told of the farmer who planted the really good seed of wheat, Right? And the enemy came and planted the tares and that are weeds. They don't produce any fruit. But the point is, it's hard to tell them apart at the beginning. It's not until they mature. And so 
sometimes it's hard to identify. And so sometimes people kind of get that platform, but as longer they go, this begins to pull out. Uh, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as the apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds, right? We get back to this whole orthodoxy, orthopraxy piece. And that's what uh, Paul was trying to say there. It's what Jude's trying to tell us. And his point is, is they pervert the truth. They take the grace of God, which is truth, and they pervert it. They turn it into lasciviousness. And that's kind of how it works, is they, they, they take truth, God's grace is wonderful, isn't it? I mean, we just remembered it this morning. Man, in his grace, he came and he died for me, right? He paid for all my sins, right? That, but when you take a truth and you make it the whole truth, it often becomes an untruth. For instance, most of us have seen this in our lifetime, this idea that God is love. Is God love? Yes, absolutely. God is love. But is that all God is? No. And so when we say, well, God is love, so therefore he, he would never say no to any behavior, that he would never judge, we're going to see here, then, then we've taken the truth, we've made it the whole truth, it becomes an untruth, and that's exactly what they do. They create deception, they cause confusion, because often their heresies, their, their false teachings are, are couched with points of truth, things that we would agree with, but they're going to leverage them here, and for here's the grace of God into lasciviousness, okay, and, and we'll look at this in a moment, but the idea of God is a God of grace, and we can kind of live however we want. What, what's interesting uh, is that so often what the false teacher wants to bring is something that caters to what we want to hear. It's our soul. So you think about what John said in 1 John. He says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, these are not of the Father, but they're of this world. Right? That's typically where they go. Now, Jude's going to really focus on the lust of the flesh idea. So let me leave that one for a second because we'll, we're going to spend most of our time there. But even the pride of life. One of the things that has been, uh, again, you kind of seen, you see it back in biblical days, you see it today. Uh, for people who really struggle with uh, their own identity, uh, their own sense of, of the God would love me. So this need to be able to look at, look at what I've done, right? So then the, they come in with the teaching of law and legalism. And they actually move away from grace. And, and that you're standing, you're, how much God loves you is built upon what you do. And they build these theologies. I mean, one that's out there now is this Hebrew roots movement. That if you're really going to be spiritual, you really want to be able to see that God loves you, man, you got to go back under the Old Testament law. It's the same thing that happened in Galatians that Paul writes about. And I came across this quote years ago, and it's so good for a man by the name of Marvin Vincent. But he said, if people desire a calf to worship, a ministerial calf maker is readily found. And it's true. 
Because it's, for them, it's, it's not about the Lord. It's about a following. It's about power. It's about getting uh, people to follow after you. I couldn't help but think when I was processing this this week of the challenge that was given to me when I was ordained. It's a challenge I've given to many young men who are being ordained in the ministry. It's out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, right? Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Four. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They want to hear what they want to hear. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They'll turn away their ears from the truth, will turn to myths. Folks, he says the time will come. I would suggest to you the time is here, right? This is the way that this works. One last thing about false teachers is I think that's what Paul is saying, for the time will come, they're going to get worse and worse. Jesus certainly tells us this in Matthew 24, when he's talking about the kind of the end of the age. He, he says that many false prophets and false apostles will come, claiming many, many things. So, again, hard to see sometimes at the very beginning. That's why now Jude takes and calls us to look at their conduct, their conduct. Because what he says here is this, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. You see, they come, they put forth a persona of spirituality as a follower of Christ, as somebody who's really spiritual. But what Jude says is that they're ungodly. In fact, literally in the Greek, it means godless is the idea there. Um, I, I wanted to get this to you. Thayer, in his dictionary, actually, uh, this is how he defines the word uh, ungodly. Destitute of reverential awe towards God. And I think the idea here is when he says ungodly, it doesn't mean they're atheists. No, they believe in God. But what they're doing, what they're teaching isn't about God. This isn't about, hey, getting people to follow, follow the Lord. It's about them. It's about people following me. It's about power. It's about prestige. It's about uh, authority. It's about all of those things. But it's not about the Lord. And they're just kind of using the Lord as their way to get to that point of power and, and, and prestige. And what Jude says, these in particular, he has in mind, they're, they're turning God's grace into this license to sin, this argument that, well, hey, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So if that's the case, then the more we get sin, the more grace there's going to be, right? You know, you've been saved, right? You've been forgiven. Jesus died and paid for all of our sins, correct? So you can just go out and live however you want. You know, Paul had already dealt with this. You go back to the book of Romans. I wish we had time to really detail it, but let me see if I can surmise it. Romans chapter 6, he starts with kind of what they were saying, the false teachers. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Uh, 
the whole point is, well, if, where there's sin, grace abounds. And if we sin more, then there's going to be more grace. And then God gets glory. And, and you remember what Paul's response to that was? What the very next verse was? God forbid. His whole point is this. Wait a minute. God didn't save you from sin that's destroying your life so that you could turn right back to sin, walk in that same bondage, that same destruction. In fact, he, he gives us, and, and remember, he takes baptism. He says, don't you know that when you, you came to faith in Christ that you died with him? That old nature was crucified on the cross, and now you have been raised in a new life. Your sins have been washed away, but now you are a different person. You don't have to live in the bondage of sin anymore. And you go on and he talks about how now the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. In fact, he ends that whole passage there with, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you would obey its lust. That's bondage. That's what he saved us out of. And he has saved us to freedom so that now you don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but you present yourselves to God. You now have the freedom to walk in holiness. You had the freedom to walk in righteousness. You had the freedom that you can become like Christ. Remember, he's conforming us into the image of Jesus. That's that whole piece there. And what false teachers do is they say, no, this is about, hey, what you want to do, what your flesh tells you is good. False teachers are often noted by their sensual conduct. In fact, you look at, you look at the pagan religions of their day. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. In fact, we're going to look at that in just a little bit where he, he talks about how, you know, the temple prostitutes, and you, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that now as a believer, right? That, You've been changed. Don't walk back into that. But that's where, that's where false teaching often goes, is to the freedom of the flesh. Why? Because that's what our flesh desires. Last week we talked about the similarities between Jude and 2 Peter. So I went back to 2 Peter chapter 2 and just was looking at how Peter categorized these false teachers. And here's a summation. He says this, many will follow their sensuality. Their eyes are full of adultery. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. Paul talks about how they creep in to, to, to people laden down by sins and they lead, lead them astray. Folks, what's happening here is not... It's not what God has called us to. Remember when Paul talks about this in Galatians? He talks about the difference between the deeds of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, all those things, Christ-likeness, and the deeds of the flesh, the fruit of what happens. The deeds of the flesh are this. They're immorality, impurity, sensuality. And, and what Jude's trying to say is, listen, their conduct, their conduct is such you see the air in their way because they're not following after Christ. They're not walking, they're, there's, there's not this stamp upon their life. And, and you kind of got to wonder, why, why is the focus so much on the whole sensuality. And I think the reason is, I think why Satan focuses on this, he has from the beginning of time, and it's such a play in our country today, is that 
the area of our sexuality touches to the very core of who we are, of how God made us. So you go back to Genesis 2, and when God made us, he made us specifically, it says, male and female, right? That deals both with our gender, but also our sexuality. It was part of God's design. It's part of our identity. How you are able to bear his image is as a male and a female. It is in this this picture uh, and this, this package of who he made us to be. And so the enemy knows that if he can mess that piece up inside of us, which is so tied to our identity and and understanding of what God made us to be, man, it creates this huge mess. And he knows that his plan and his understanding is, is that where it works, where it operates, is within this relationship that now he was going to develop. It's called marriage. And he brings Eve to him and, and this idea of one man, one together, one woman together for one lifetime, that that's where it is. And outside of that, you, you, don't, you don't practice, you don't experience, because it's only in that committed relationship that God knows that it works. And so you begin to see how God, Satan from the very beginning started trying to mess this thing up to get people to, to live in their guilt and their shame and their brokenness. To be real honest with you, for those of you that are <clears throat> more mature like me, and by that I mean we've been around for a while, haven't we even seen this play out in our country? I mean, a little before my time, they started trying to take God out of the schools. But about my time, 50s, 60s, we had something here called the sexual revolution, right? It was uh, the time of free love. Marriage wasn't needed to, to be able to engage in sexuality, right? Pornography began to take off. It was just, it's, man, you know, you're free. Be honest with you, it was the worship of the paganism of the day, which was basically atheism or agnosticism. And our country bought into it. And, uh, and all of a sudden we started seeing more and more people being born outside of a of a home with a father and a mother and, and all the stresses that that brings to, to life. And, and so, and yet there's no fulfillment, right? There's, there's no betterment. People are more broken than ever. And, and then you f- go down the line, what was it, 30 years, 40 years? And now in the midst of all the brokenness, more and more people looking towards homosexuality, I mean, to the point where now, you know, same-sex marriage. So we redefine marriage to, again, try to give license. And what are we, what, 15 years down the line from that? And now, and now that's not enough. Now it's this whole gender thing. And we're, we're starting to, you know, make provision to mutilate kids and it's just this downward progression. And then you look at our country as a whole, folks. I was thinking about this yesterday. Has anybody actually kept account in the last two weeks 
of how many mass shootings there's been in our country? I mean, it's like every day. You know, Indianapolis, uh, someplace in what, Omaha, someplace yesterday, uh, uh, Colorado, and you just kind of go, you look at the brokenness that's going on, and, and you, you see, I mean, in fact, if we had time, we'd be in Romans chapter 1 right now, because this is where you see it. And God's whole point is that, listen, when this part gets messed up, when you live in sensuality, you're not just sinning, you're sinning against yourself and how God actually made you. Do you remember when Paul was talking to the Corinthians about, you know, hey, don't engage in, in the temple prostitution? He says this, flee immorality. By the way, that is a sermon. We could just preach that one. Run! But his point is every other sin that man commits is outside the body. Now think of what he takes, you know, lying, stealing, right? Those things are bad, right? Even murder. But he says those things are outside. When you commit adultery, when you screw this piece up, the immoral man sins against his own body. Why? Because we were made with our male and femaleness. We were made with a plan that this sexuality that God specifically gave us was to be preserved, it was to be honored, it was to be kept and then only expressed in this beautiful relationship. For this cause, a man leaves his father's mother, is joined to his wife, they become one flesh. I mean, that's very sexual in its sense there. But it's there that the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. That's what God designed it for. That's what we were made for. And so you had the false teachers that are out there going, no, you could just live however, right? You're already forgiven. God's a God of love. You know, he'll just kind of wink at it. And, and, and folk, what I get, I'm just trying to get you to understand today is that Jesus loves you way too much. He loves you way too much to save you and then say, hey, just go live however you want, even though it's going to mess up your life even more. Jesus calls us to holiness, to purity. Why? Because he, he's mad at us? No. He wants the best for us. He wants us to enjoy the fullness of life. He's the one that actually made us. He knows how this works. And he knows that especially in this area, which for many of us is a high drive, that uh, if he can get us screwed up here, man, he can just make a mess of our, not only our life, our relationships, our identity. He, he can just do a number on us. I couldn't help but think of what Peter says in 1 Peter. But as he who has called you is holy, be holy in all your behavior. Be holy. Now, Notice what he says in that last phrase, verse 4. Who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So what's interesting and, and debate amongst the, uh, at least the commentators that I read. When it, when it talks about they deny Jesus as Lord, when they deny Jesus as master... Is this now, okay, because he's been talking about conduct. He's been talking about the orthopraxy side. Does he now switch back to orthodoxy? So they just deny that Jesus is Lord. And it's possible. 
right? A lot of, lot of false teachers do. I mean, uh, you, you think of Mormonism which does not accept that Jesus was fully God and fully man, right? He's a man who became God. Uh, that certainly is an issue. But what I'm going to argue is that I really don't think that's what Jude means. I don't think this is so much a theological point that they denied that Jesus is Lord. I think it's a practical point. Because, see, you and I can come here and sing these songs. He's bigger than, right? We, we can sing in tenderness, he sought me. We can sing that he is Lord of the universe, right? We can sing the songs. We can affirm it to one another. But when you and I go out and live our life as though he's not the Lord, right? We don't follow his commands. We, what does it mean that he's Lord? Kind of means he's in charge, right? He's God. He knows best. But when you and I... With our lips say Jesus is Lord, but with our life we go and we live in disobedience. We think we know better. We think we've got this figured out. The truth is, in practice, we're denying that Jesus is Lord. We think we've got this better figured out than, than he does. And sadly... Sadly, that's all through the church today. It amazes me how many people come and man, they sing the songs and they're good, you know, people, but you know what? They're living together and they're not married. And they say it with their voice, Jesus is Lord, but with their life, they say something completely different. And what was interesting is in the old days, they just used to be young people, right? And today, I tell you, the bigger part is the older people, and they've got it all rationalized away. Well, you know, God understands because we, we, you know, we really, you know, we're married in our hearts, but we can't because of social security, or we can't because of some kind of trust thing. And it's like, Jesus the Lord, he's pretty clear on this. Or today, as more and more people's, struggle with the feelings of same-sex attraction. And the church more and more says, oh, that's okay. You, 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 can, you, you can follow that. Instead of preaching the truth to those that have same-sex attraction, opposite sons attraction, but outside of marriage, you got to take every thought and, and behavior into captivity and obedience to Christ. God loves you way too much. And if I haven't stepped on your toes yet, let me try this one. <laughs> Pornography. Pornography is rampant in our country. Folk, it's rampant in our church. And we come and we sing, yes, Jesus is Lord, and, and, and the, man, we want to follow Christ, and we're just followers. But this is what his word says. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not be named among you as proper among the saints. You know, the Greek word for immorality there is pornea. And you have to understand, it's because God somehow doesn't love me. He doesn't care. No, he does love you. He does care about you. He wants the best for you. He knows how you're made. He knows how this works way better than you. He's been around a lot longer. Cares about you. 
Which leads us to the third piece, which is the idea of their judgment. And Jude's going to give three examples to remind us that their judgment is coming. In fact, he, he actually starts to introduce it there in verse 4. Who, those who long beforehand were marked out for this condemnation. God always judges sin and judges sinners. And he gives three stories here. I don't have a whole lot of time, so let me quickly. There's unbelieving Israel. So they came up out of the land of Egypt. They saw God's plan and promise, but when they got to the Holy Land or to, to go in, they said no. And by the way, I would remind you, if you read the Old Testament Exodus piece, there was a lot of sensuality. Remember when they made the golden calf and they, they uh, begin to celebrate the golden calf in some pretty sensual ways. Uh, you think of Bala Peor and all of that. Uh, there, there was a lot of that tied to that. And God said, okay, judgment's coming. We believe that there were probably people from 20 years of age and up who were not now going to go into land that died, there were like over a million two. So over the next 38 years, you, you take that out, it's like 90 people a day dying, judgment. Then he talks about the angels in verse 6. The angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper mode. He has kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Um, now, what is he referring to? I wish I had time. We don't have a lot of time on this one. Some people think this is when they fell with Satan. The problem is it says he's kept them in eternal bonds. We know the demons that fell with Satan, many of them are active today, right? I don't think that's what he's referencing here. I think you take this and you tie it together what he says in 2 Peter. I think he's actually referencing Genesis 6 when the sons of God came and cohabitated with the daughters of men. They left their proper abode. They came into their earthly realm and they impregnated women and that those God now has reserved into judgment they're not out walking around doing their thing God has reserved them for coming judgment the third one is Sodom and Gomorrah and we know that right we know that story we know the wickedness here's the thing I'd remind you about though is that the day that Lot showed up is not the day that Sodom and Gomorrah turned sensual been coming a long time. So sometimes, you know, it looks like, well, hey, they're getting away with it. Sometimes it looks like, you know, these false teachers preach this, this garbage that's out there and, and, and they're getting away with it. But his point is, God is going to judge. Ultimately, it's going to come because God judges sin and sinners. And if I could make one last point and kind of end on this. So for those of us, because I know most of us know Jesus, right? Most of us have come to believe in him. Can I just remind us today to not misunderstand God's grace? Because again, they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and this idea that I can live how I want and God doesn't care. I am forgiven. I'm a child of God. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. You are loved. That's all true. But because he loves you does not mean that he will not deal with your sin. In fact, I would argue with you that he's going to deal with it more quickly than he does with those that aren't his children. I mean, those of you that are parents, you ever take your kids to the, uh, to the playground and they're playing with other kids and the other kids are really doing some stupid things like jumping off the top of the the 
monkey bars or something like that. And, you know, you may say something, hey, that's probably not so smart or whatever. They're crawling up, get on top of the, the swing set. You know, they're, they're going to fall and break something, right? Uh, they're going to hurt themselves. And you see it and you're quiet or maybe you say something. But I tell you, when your kid starts doing that, you get all in their business. Why? Because you love them. The other kid, hey, you break something in. All right? But, but the kid, the, yours, you love, right? Well, listen, if you know Jesus, you are loved. He knows what porn will do to your soul and what it will do to your marriage. He knows what adultery will do. He knows what homosexuality will do. He loves you far too much to just say, hey, go do whatever you want to do. And you may not want to call it judgment, then call it discipline. But God loves you too much. He didn't save you and set you free so that you could just live in the bondage that you were already in that was already screwing up your life terrible. He saved you to make you holy. To help you become like him so that you can enjoy the very, very best in life. He loves you. He loves you far too much than to just let you go.